Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. In the photograph, a woman is sitting in the grass. Just behind her, a man reclines casually, propped up on an elbow. It looks like the kind of pose that a photographer might suggest for an engagement photo shoot. But these two are not a couple. Concilde Campuntu is a widow who survived the genocide that ravaged Rwanda in 1994. The man lounging behind her is Juvenal Zabamwita. He was part of the mob that looted her home. His father killed her children. On the 20th anniversary of the genocide, they were photographed together for the Portraits of Reconciliation Project. The people featured in this extraordinary series are part of Rwanda's continuing effort toward healing. The formal reconciliation program involves many months of counseling for small groups of Tutsis and Hutus, culminating in a perpetrator's formal request for forgiveness. If forgiveness is granted, the perpetrator will extend an offering to the survivor on behalf of his family. This offering usually comes in the form of a basket of food sometimes accompanied by banana beer. The accord is then sealed with song and dance. It is almost inconceivable to imagine the grace and resilience of people who can forgive the atrocities these survivors describe. But there they are captured in stark beauty as they stare into the photographer's lens with haunted eyes and solemn faces. In forgiving the unforgivable, they have reclaimed some of the peace, harmony, and freedom lost in the genocide. Somehow a country needs to go on, they say, in order to really go on, you have to find hope in something. Forgiveness makes people into good neighbors again. We are in the midst of the days of awe. The Jewish calendar sets aside these holy days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur for introspection, repentance, atonement. 
the season invites all of us to take a fearless moral inventory. Where have we fallen short? Where have we hurt others? Where do we need to ask for forgiveness? Where do we need to grant our forgiveness? So much of life opens up to us when we are willing to honestly face ourselves and the world around us. Sometimes our reconciliation work is communal. What happens when a genocide goes unacknowledged? We are living it today. The fallout of America's refusal to reckon with our traumatic past is all around us. Two examples from the dark underbelly of our national history come to mind this particular weekend. First, the story of the pilgrims landing at Plymouth Rock in 1620 is iconic in the narrative of early America. What we don't often hear is that the first slave ship arrived on our shores a year before the Mayflower. Slavery is deeply embedded in America's DNA, and we are the heirs of its corrosive, horrific legacy. Today's travesties of police brutality, mass incarceration, and the assault on black lives all have direct ties to this original sin of slavery. Without atonement, there is no moving forward. Second, tomorrow, the United States marks the federal holiday originally known as Columbus Day. By promoting the story of Christopher Columbus as a dashing explorer who discovered the Americas, we deny the reality of the people who were already here. The arrival of Columbus was the start of the Native American genocide and the colonial oppression that continues to this day. As much as we may want to, we can't relegate to the history books the shameful stories of pillaging sacred tribal lands. Today's headlines on the Dakota Access Pipeline chronicle the latest betrayal in a long saga of trampling sovereign rights. Construction on this massive crude oil pipeline has already destroyed Lakota burial grounds and now threatens the treaty lands and water resources of the Standing Rock Sioux tribe. It is an atrocity. And there is hope. On the banks of North Dakota's Cannonball River, the Great Sioux Nation has gathered with thousands of protesters 
who are committed to camping there as long as it takes to stop the pipeline. This historic gathering grows daily as indigenous people and allies from around the world continue to arrive. Musicians and artists are traveling to North Dakota to join the resistance, including Lakota sculptor Charles Rencounter. As his tribute to the water protectors, Rencounter created a replica of his sculpture that graces the courtyard at the Museum of Contemporary Native Arts in Santa Fe. The piece is an abstract man, rendered eight feet tall in concrete, sitting with an intense gaze on his upturned face. Rencounter calls the work, not afraid to look. The statue sits on the riverbank, gazing in the direction of the pipeline equipment, which is visible on the high bluffs from a mile away. It is only by the willingness to look that we can heal the brokenness. What does it mean to be responsible for that which is done in our names? Taking on reconciliation at a national level feels huge, daunting, impossible. But, as people of faith, we are called to a larger vision. To access transformation, we must dwell not in the domain of probability, but that of possibility. We can draw on the inspiration of countries who have paved this path of healing the brokenness. South Africa, Canada, New Zealand. All of these countries have acknowledged their egregious treatment of indigenous populations and sought reconciliation through formal processes of introspection, repentance, atonement. Somehow a country needs to go on in order to really go on, you have to find hope in something. Forgiveness makes people into good neighbors again. As citizens, it's up to us to rouse our country to answer the call of love and reconciliation. And we take on this work in our individual lives. My final story this morning is an astonishing tale of a man who did just that. In September of 2001, Race Bouyan was a young man living his dream. He had just emigrated from Bangladesh and was working at a gas station in Dallas to save money for IT classes, and for his wedding, which was just two months out. 10 days after 9-11, an armed man stormed the gas station counter, 
Race immediately began emptying the cash register, but Mark Stroman wasn't there for money. He was an unhinged vigilante seeking revenge for the terror attacks. He shot Race in the face at close range and left him for dead. Of the three men Stroman shot on his counter-jihad, Race was the only one to survive. His life immediately fell apart. Because he had no insurance, the hospital discharged him the day after the attack. He couldn't speak, he could barely see, and his face was peppered with metal. Race was forced to fend for himself in a country that was still foreign to him. In rapid succession, he lost his right eye, his fiancée, and his apartment. He found himself homeless and saddled with $60,000 in medical debt. Race spent a decade rebuilding his American dream. He got work as a telemarketer and waited tables at the Olive Garden. He found a guy to tutor him in database administration and picked up part-time IT jobs. Finally, Race landed a six-figure tech job at a prestigious Dallas company. As he built his career, Race was also on a journey to heal his spirit. He worked through the long process of letting go of his anger and coming to a real sense of forgiveness. After a pilgrimage to Mecca, he decided that his purpose was to break the cycle of violence between the Muslim world and the Western world. Race issued a public statement of forgiveness. Stroman was on death row. Race launched an aggressive campaign to save the life of the man who shot him. He sued the state of Texas to prevent Stroman's execution. Despite Race's impassioned plea for clemency, Stroman was put to death by lethal injection on July 20th, 2011. In their last conversation, Race said, Mark, you should know that I'm praying for God's most compassionate and gracious mercy. I forgive you and I do not hate you. I never hated you. Stroman replied, you are a remarkable person. Thank you from my heart. I love you, brother. After the execution, Race reached out to Stroman's daughter, Amber, an ex-convict and an addict. He told her, you may have lost a father, but you've gained an uncle. In addition to helping Amber get her second chance, Race has dedicated his life to being a peace activist, 
and to teaching the regenerative power of forgiveness. May we summon the courage to look. We are the ones who can heal the brokenness. I'm going to close with the words from Denise Levertov's beautiful poem, Beginners. But we have only begun to love the earth. We have only begun to imagine the fullness of life. How could we tire of hope? So much is in bud. How can desire fail? We have only begun to imagine justice and mercy, only begun to envision how it might be to live as siblings with beast and flower, not as oppressors. Not yet, not yet. There is too much broken that must be mended. Too much hurt we have done to each other that cannot yet be forgiven. We have only begun to know the power that is in us if we would join our solitudes in the communion of struggle. So much is unfolding that must complete its gesture. So much is in bud. Blessings on your journey of introspection, repentance, atonement, and reconciliation. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear from you via email at office at ASCBoston.org or through our Facebook page. If you would like to support the good work of Arlington Street Church, please consider a contribution by checking the mail or through our website, ASCBoston.org.